want to get started, uh, and I've got a list. Can I offer it to you? Abraham. Abraham, in Genesis chapter 13, is described as being wealthy in livestock first, silver and gold. So wealthy that, uh, that at one point uh, later on, what is that, Genesis yeah, like, 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 the, like the, the same chapter, the next chapter. It, just, it, it says, that, uh, it says that, that Abraham and his nephew Lot, who were sort of in this family business together, had so much possessions that they couldn't occupy the land together, and so they had to split up. This is what it says. This is what it says. They had so much that they had to, they had to split up. And then, and then later on, a generation later, Isaac would be the, uh, the, the, the son of Abraham. It says that Isaac... Was, uh, was, uh, was able to plant a crop and receive 100-fold from that crop uh, more than anybody else around him, right? This is, this is the story. And then, and then you get to the end of Genesis, and you've got the amazing story. I really love it. It's one of my favorites, uh, the story of Joseph. Joseph is destitute poor because of the crimes that are committed against him by his brothers. Everybody look at each other and say, sibling rivalry will get you every time, Right? No, no, literally, right? I was with my brother this week. Sibling rivalry will get you every time. Okay, you haven't done that yet. But um, uh, so the brothers, like, you know, practically kill him, and, and he's, he's completely penniless and sold into slavery. But by the end of Genesis, he has ascended to a place of power and wealth that he's the second biggest guy in Egypt, which is the biggest country at, at the time, I mean, in, in terms of wealth and power, and that's where Joseph ends up. I mean, and then you keep reading through the scriptures, and you get to the story of Job, and we all know the story of Job uh, as, this, uh, as, as this just quick reference to suffering, but, but, but actually, the story of Job is this bigger understanding, and it begins by saying that, like the third or fourth verse, that, that Job was was after, after it talks about his, his livestock and his possessions and his family, it says that he was greater than any other person in all the East, right? Right? And then, of course, he loses all of it, but by the end of the book, what happens? He receives it all and what? More. That's what it says. He receives it all and, and more. I mean, and then you just keep going. You got, you got King David, who was a man after God's own heart, but, but, but he was so wealthy that he, he was looking for stuff to do with his wealth. And then he had a son, Solomon, who's a pretty neat story because he says you can, God says you can ask for anything you want. He asked for wisdom, and he says, because you asked for wisdom and not wealth, I'm going to give you wisdom and wealth. Right? These, and in the New Testament, in the New Testament, you've got Joseph of Arimathea who has enough land that he's able to give some away that, that at the last minute Jesus would be buried there. You've got, you've got this in Luke chapter 8, you've got this, this group of, uh, of women who it says after having been healed of evil demons and spirits, they begin traveling with Jesus and the disciples, which at this point was like a small uh, enterprise. They, they, and and they are using, they're using their funds to contribute to support the ministry, Luke chapter 8 says. And then, of course, in the, in the days of the early church and after Easter weekend and the Ascension and Pentecost, it, uh, it says in Acts chapter 16 that a woman named Lydia, who was a dealer in fine purple cloths and linens because she happened to be from a region of, uh, of, of the world that, uh, that was famous for, for this, uh, that she was wealthy enough to host in her home 
a, a, a growing church, Lydia was. Now, now here's, here's, here's a fact. All those people who had possessions were never spoken of negatively in the scriptures for having the possessions. In fact, the scriptures spoke of each of those people in ways that were positive because of their faith. So, so right out the gate, here's this long list of people, and, and, and we understand that, that having things did not prevent them from being faithful. Nowhere in the scriptures, because, because and, and I want to I I open up with this, this sort of uh, you know, opening thesis statement, because in the scriptures, Jesus never used shame to talk about money. Jesus never used shame to talk about money. I, mean, I, want to, I want to say more about that, but but uh, but I was I spent some time with some 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 other preachers this week, and uh, and and then I and then I spent a lot of time with preachers because we run around like in, uh, in in packs together. It's really terrible. Um, <clears throat> we associate together, and we eat together, and we talk together, and we do life together. Preachers from time to time, and and and, I, and I'll tell you, one of the truths is that that when it comes to money and shame. Those are not just those are not just uh, uh, th- those are not just the realities of, uh, of of folks on this side of the equation. I have I have preacher friends who have told me that they do not like talking about money on Sunday morning. They do not. They avoid it at all costs. These are these are real real good people, effective pastors. Do you know do you know the primary reason why they don't want to talk about money on Sunday mornings? It might surprise you, it might not. It, may, it actually makes sense when you hear it up to a point. The primary reason they don't like talking about money on Sunday mornings is because they're afraid that a visitor will be in the room. And, 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 and what do people out there say about people like me in here? What is that? What do we talk about on Sunday mornings and nothing else? That's all, all the preacher does is talk about money, right? And so my friends who are really smart people are like, I don't want to, I don't want to be the, the stereotypical guy that always talks about money. So instead, I'll never talk about money. But, but, but at what point does that make sense? See, see, in, in, in the years that I've been here and, and in, in the years previous in other places, I, I want to talk about money, but I want to talk about it in ways that build up and not tear down. Because, because why? Because that's how Jesus did it. That's how the scriptures did it. Shame, that's, that's, that's something else. But, but, but as we get started, we, uh, we, get, we get started with um, one, of the, one of the clear verses that, that you sort of almost have to check off the list. And so here we go. Everybody check it off the list. We, uh, we turn our attention to, uh, to the words of Timothy, and you, uh, you know how this goes. It says, the love of money. In fact, why don't you do this? Read it with me. We never do that. Read it with me. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some have wandered away from the faith and have impaled themselves with a lot of pain because they made money their goal. And, it, and, it's, and it's, it, it's, important, it's important to pause right there and say, Timothy doesn't say money 
He says, it's the love of money. And it's the love of money that causes this pain that, that he uses this, like, this physical description. Like, the, like, like we've literally been pierced by the pain of this problem of loving money. But what Timothy says is that, is, is that it's, not, it's not the wallet that's the problem. It's, it's, it's not the online app. It's, it's not even the numbers that are the problem. What's the problem? Our hearts. Where does the problem reside? It resides up in here and not, not back here. All of this is about our hearts. And I'd, I'd, I'd like, if you'd allow me, I'd like to, 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 to turn to the scriptures. Let's begin in Mark chapter 12. How does that sound? Um, yeah, that's, that sounds really good. That's where we're supposed to turn. Mark chapter 12. I'd like to read three stories quickly. We, you know, we, we, I want, but I, but I want to bring in a bunch of different stories so that we can see the fullness of how Jesus interacted with people. And the first, the first is a good one because we've opened up with, uh, we've opened up with people that have, and now we, now we begin, uh, reading from Jesus with someone who, 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 who apparently doesn't. It says, Jesus, Mark chapter 12, verse 41, Jesus sat across from the collection box for, for the temple treasury and observed how the crowd gave their money. It's worth pointing out that Jesus is being attentive here, okay? So the things that are gonna happen next aren't Jesus speaking so generally and broadly. Jesus is speaking about real people in a real place, right? Because he's watching real people and, and he's, he's about to speak about that. He says, it says, many rich people were throwing in lots of money. One poor widow came forward and put in two small copper coins worth a penny. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I assure you that this poor widow has put in more than everyone who's been putting money in the treasury. And, and if you could insert, uh, if you can insert what, the G, what the disciples were thinking right now, it would be no. <laughs> right, just real quick, you know, what are the disciples thinking? No, that's probably not right. And, and I think the evidence of that is the fact that he's having to lead with, I'm assuring you because you don't believe it, right? I'm assuring you of this fact. All of them, are giving out of their spare change. But she, from her hopeless poverty, has given everything she had, even what she needed to live on. Now, now you, you, can, preach this, you can preach this for weeks on end, but let me, let me just be real quick to say, Jesus is describing a woman who is first a daughter of God, who happens to have not a lot of possessions. But a child of God who, who does not have a lot of means. But you, you turn over an entire book to, uh, to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, and not the beginning of the, the, the chapter this time, but the, it's not the end, but the beginning of the chapter, and you get uh, John chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. It says, six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, home of Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Lazarus and his sisters hosted a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who joined him at the table. Then Mary took an extraordinary amount, almost three quarters of a pound of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. 
She anointed Jesus' feet with it, then wiped his feet dry with her hair. The house was filled with the aroma of the perfume. Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, complained. This perfume was worth a year's wages. You can see down here, um, uh, approximately 300 denarii, denarii being a one day's wage. Why wasn't it sold and the money given to the poor? And then John inserts, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He carried the money bag and he would take what was in it and he saw this as a wasted opportunity to enrich himself. But here's the thing, here's the thing. Jesus then goes on to affirm Mary in this extravagant, the the scripture says extraordinary, extraordinary gift. Goes on to affirm her. What's he doing? He says, he says, Here is a daughter of God who happens to have some possessions. Here here is a child of God who, who has some means. He speaks of the first woman and the second woman in the same way, ways of affirming them. You, you, you get to this, this third of these three stories that I want to uh, circle around. And, and, and you guys know these stories, but it's, it's, worth, it's worth hearing them together. It's, uh, it's the story, and we won't read the whole, we won't read the whole story because uh, uh, I might, I might want to come back to it in a couple weeks. And um, you guys would cry foul if I made you listen to the same scripture two weeks in a row, wouldn't you? No, you wouldn't. No. But, but, but I don't have to read the whole story because you, you know it. But in the middle of the story... That's told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In the middle of the story of the, uh, of the man who, had re- who, who, who was referred to at one place as a rich man, another place as uh, a young man, uh, another place as a rich ruler. This man, what does it say? What does it say? He says, he says Jesus, come, uh, I, I come to Jesus because I, I want to know how can I have eternal life? What can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asks this question. He says, I've done all those things, and Jesus comes down to it. But before he comes down to telling him what he doesn't want to hear, it says Jesus looked at him carefully and loved him. Jesus, Jesus loves us first. Here's, here's, here's a son of God who has many possessions, because the Bible calls him rich, right? So I can, I can do that, right? So here's, here's a son of God who has many possessions. Here's a child of God who has means. Just, just, like, this, just like this woman over here and this woman over here, these are children of God who have and Jesus, all the same, with love. Says he, says he loved him. Where did, where did shame start? It started in the garden. When, 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 having, when having everything they possibly needed, they, 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 they crossed out of bounds 
when having everything they possibly needed, they, 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 they stepped across the line that Jesus, excuse me, that God had, had laid out for them. It, it, shame. I, I, I went and found this. Shame describes an inner sense of unworthiness, often rooted in trauma and embarrassing experiences. Though real to the person, shame is psychological and deeply interior. See, shame, shame is up here. Shame is, shame is in here. The, the world would have us to understand that, that, there, that there, is, there is shame associated with that number at the end of your checkbook. Do you guys still do that? Anybody, anybody still? I, I see you. One hand. Yeah. I see. Um, you know, checkbook. <clears throat> see, kids, what happens is they used to have these paper things that they came in a series, and then you kept up with them, and my mom would stand. Um, she's going to be here at the 11 o'clock service. I'm going to say this. My mom would stand and hold up the line at the Piggly Wiggly in Statesboro. Uh, She'd hold up the line, and, uh, and she'd, she'd subtract it out. There you go. That's how much money we have now, right? The world would say that that, that number, by subtraction or addition, that that number was, was, was a source of shame. If it was too much or too little, and the world was never clear on what was too much or too little. And so whatever it is, can I just get it? I mean, you know, like whatever it is, you should be ashamed of that. You, you don't have enough or you have too much or I can't, you know. That's not of Jesus. The, the, the world started with no shame. The world will end with no shame. And for the believer, what, what started in the garden ended ended in a garden tomb it says it says clear as can be that Jesus took our shame on the cross and all we're left with is freedom God looks at every one of us not concerned with that second sentence. It's the first sentence that matters. Before I ever bought that thing I didn't need. Before I, before I ever wrote that check for the good cause. Before, before I ever got it right. Before I ever got it wrong. I'm a child of God. God, God, God looks at Scott and says, I love you before you ever got it right or wrong. It's, it's the world that says, oh no, that's the silly kid. That's not how it works. Or after this week, silly old man. <clears throat> that, that's not how it works. Shame. Shame is an effort of Satan. And this is not how Jesus operates. I, I would say the first practical application from Jesus on money 
It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't begin in an online account, doesn't begin with a dollar amount, doesn't, doesn't begin with any figure or fact. I would say that, that, that the first practical, practical application of Jesus on money is to know where to start. It starts with the heart. Jesus doesn't look at us and, and, and say, you have, you have this much or you don't have this much or, or, you're, or you're right down here and you're wrong up here or, or I celebrate you and love you more because you're here and over here I wish you'd be able to. Jesus, that's, that's, who does that? That's not him. When we, when we, when, when we think about money, It's, 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 a, it's a tool. But God's not, he's not interested in that. He's interested in our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, your word is filled with those who have and have not And we have found ourselves, every one of us, on every point of that spectrum. But, but your interest, your attention, you are watching. Not some figure. You're watching our hearts. Help us, help us to get our hearts right. To, to believe the truth. That it is not what we have, but what we do with what we have that matters. We thank you for loving us. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen and amen.